When one loves, one does not calculate. And that is the quote of the day. The quote of the day show. I'm your host, Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. Happy Tuesday to you. Today we've got Gretchen Rubin back on the show. And today she's going to talk about some simple ways that you can deepen your relationships. Here's Gretchen. But what if somebody said, what is the key to happiness? What is the key? What's the secret to happiness? I think you can answer that question in a couple different ways, depending on what framework you use to think about happiness. I think one really good answer to that is self-knowledge. Self-knowledge is key to happiness. We can build a happy life only on the foundation of our own nature, our own values, our own interests. But another way to answer that question, and maybe the best way to answer that question, is relationships. Ancient philosophers and contemporary scientists agree that to be happy, we need enduring, intimate bonds with other people. We need to be able to confide. We need to feel like we belong. We need to be able to get support and just as important for happiness, we need to be able to give support. So anytime we're trying to think about how to spend our time, energy, or money, something that broadens relationships or deepens relationships is something that's going to make us happier. So what might you do? What are some simple, manageable, concrete things to do to strengthen your relationships? The fact is, we all know there's no, there's no substitute for face-to-face. In the end, you've got to go face-to-face. That's the most powerful way to have a relationship. But it's hard. People are busy. It's, it takes time and energy to pull it off. So what can you do? I have become a big fan of joining or starting a group as a way to foster relationships. Now, it sounds a little funny to talk about efficiency and friendship, but the fact is being in a group is a very efficient way to see, have face-to-face contact with a lot of people. And the way groups work is often, you know, I'll bring some of my friends, and you bring some of your friends, and so I make friends with your friends, and you meet my friends, and now we're all part of a social network. And that's good. And if I miss one meeting, well, then I'll see everybody next time. That's okay. We don't have to make a lot of individual plans because we're meeting as a group. Usually groups form around something that everybody's interested in. I just heard about an interesting group, a bunch of guys, they read famous New Yorker profiles as their activity. What a great idea for a group. And another idea, another thing that's very powerful about groups is that often people who are trying to become happier or to work on things in their lives are very benefited by some form of accountability. And groups provide accountability. They provide fun, they provide relationships, ideas, but they can also, for someone who, people are doing happiness project groups together or habit change groups together, they get that crucial accountability from that face-to-face contact with other people. So that's a wonderful way to deepen your relationships. But then what about more long-distance relationships? Now, one of the questions that a lot of people are really interested in the field of happiness is, what is the, how is technology affecting our happiness? What's it doing? There's a lot of research in that area. My own view is that technology is a good servant, but a bad master. And it can do a lot of wonderful things for us, but like any medicine, it can turn to poison. And so we have to use it wisely so that it's helping us and being an aid in our happiness and not getting in our way. 
So just recently, my family started a new habit. Um, it was my mother's idea. So my sister and I were home for our high school reunions with my parents, and my mother made an observation that a lot of people have made, which is it's kind of funny the way if you see somebody all the time, you've got a million things to tell them, and if you see somebody like once every six months, they're like, what's going on? Oh, not much. What's new with you? Oh, nothing. And you got nothing to say. And so my mother said, we need to keep more up to date with just the little details of what's going on. So let's send each other emails every few days. We immediately realized this was a brilliant, brilliant idea. And so now we do that. And every several days, one of us will send an email called update. This is what we call it, update. And it will be filled with minutia. Like my mother sent me one yesterday that had to do with their air conditioner re repairman coming. Because by the way, the motto of update is, it's okay to be boring. <laughs> and there's no expectation that you reply. So when I get an update, it's not like I think, oh gosh, now I've got to answer. There's no expectation to answer. What I found is that just by using a quick email and sending it out every several days, I have dramatically deepened my sense of engagement with these family members, who are some of the most, you know, the most important relationships in my life, because I know the little things that are going on with them, and so I feel very tied to them. And the final, the final point I want to make, and this is, this is about a relationship in your imagination, essentially. So we talked about relationships with people that you're face-to-face -face with and with people that you're more distant from. But this is a resolution about someone in your mind. And it's one of my very favorite happiness project resolutions. And that is to imitate a spiritual master. So what does this mean? So, to imitate a spiritual master, first you have to choose your spiritual master, which is an enormously cre creative, interesting, thought-provoking exercise. There's a million people from whom to choose. You could pick a great figure from history, a religious re leader, um, a literary figure, uh, somebody that you actually know. And back to the idea that self-knowledge brings happiness, you learn a lot about yourself from when you think about the person that you pick. Because there's a reason that you were attracted to that person as your spiritual master. What does it tell you about yourself? So you've picked, an, you've picked a spiritual master, and then you have to learn about the spiritual master. What does the spiritual master stand for? What, is it, what are their teachings? So you could read books, or you could read about their writings, you could watch documentaries, you could talk to them if it's somebody that you know. You have to learn what they stand for. And then the really interesting creative part, and this is where the relationship comes into your mind, is that you have to think about, well, how would you translate what your spiritual master is teaching into your own life? Because for most of us, our circumstances are very different from the circumstances of our spiritual master. Now, for me, as it happens, my spiritual master is Saint Therese of Lisieux. Now, Saint Therese and I have nothing in common. So she was French. She was born in 1873. She died at the age of 24 from tuberculosis after having spent much of her life in a cloistered convent with like 20 other nuns. She's not just a saint. She's a super saint. She's a doctor of the church. Um, so we have nothing in common. And yet when I read her memoir, Story of a Soul, I instantly identified with her as my spiritual master. And I think about her all the time and trying to understand how to translate what she's saying and teaching into my own life. What is, what, how do I transmit that? For instance, one of the things that's true about me is that I'm kind of a bean counter. I'm a scorekeeper. You did this for me, now I have to do this for you, but now it's your turn to do something else for me, you know, especially with my husband. But I think of... Um, what St. Therese said. 
when one loves, one does not calculate. And so I remind myself, no calculation. That's what my spiritual master has to say to me. And so, and I think that this process, first of identifying a spiritual master, learning what the spiritual master stands for, and then translating it into our own lives is enormously thought-provoking and powerful because this relationship that you have with someone in your mind can be just as significant as the relationships of the people that you have in your everyday life. So the final point that I would have to make, that I want to make, is that now having done this um, and thought about happiness for years, I really do think that just about anyone can benefit from doing this kind of thing. Maybe not to the extreme degree that I did for a year and resolution after resolution after resolution. Sort of like I tried all those things so you don't have to. Um, but I do think that just about anyone can benefit from taking the time to step back from life, to mindfully think about how to have more love, more engagement, more tenderness, more service, and how to have less anger, less guilt, less resentment, less boredom, and how to have a life that feels right, where, they're where we're living up to our values, where we're following through on the things that are important to us, the things that we feel like are true priorities, when we make time for transcendent values to be present in our everyday life. Because I think that taking the time to do that and figuring out the specific concrete ways to translate those values into everyday action really is something that can make us happier. Alrighty, that was Gretchen Rubin. Her website is GretchenRubin.com. Pick up her latest book, The Four Tendencies. I hear it's really, really good. And check out her podcast called Happier. It's on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and all of the other podcasting platforms. That is it for me. I will see you tomorrow. Have a lovely day. Peace. Peace.